Coming up on today's show. The Browns are in the f***ing playoffs for the first time since we had our last Tomahawk episode. What is it, 2002? Baker Mayfield takes a knee and the clock will wind down. An amazing story. The Browns will get their 11th win of the year. They'll go to 11 and 5 and they're going to the playoffs. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the illustrious Oscar Emmy uh, Academy Award, which is much different than Oscar when it comes to podcasting, Tomahawk Show. Man, it has been a while. It is your boy, Andrew Hawk Hawkins, joined by the greatest offensive lineman in the history of professional football. My man, my friend, my brother, Joe Thomas, is in the building. Joe, how are you doing, man? It feels good to make that intro, man. I got to be honest. Dude, I am tingling with excitement right now, Hawk. And you know how much past my bedtime it is right now. But when you gave me that text this afternoon, you said, let's put the band back together. I said, I don't care how tired I am from chasing kids around and wiping their asses all day and cleaning up furnaces that exploded and flooded my house. And the fact that I'm waking up at 4.30 tomorrow morning to go on vacation with my family. I said, the tomahawk has to happen. The tomahawk waits for nobody. It waits for no one, man. And here we are, Joe. Here that, we are, that, that humility is what I've missed for the last, what, I can't even fucking remember how long it's been since we've had a show. It literally feels like years. The world is a completely different world we live in. My son is like 23 years old. He plays for <laughs> Alabama. Um, I've gone through three divorces, four different wives. Uh, the math is off, but me and my original wife, Keisha, are back together. So yeah. much has happened. And you said putting the band back together. And that's a perfect segue into who we got joining us and who's putting this show together for us. Fat Nat is in the building. Nat. What up? Hello, Tom Flock. Wow, this is exciting. I'm so happy. Think about where we're at, man. Let's just, I mean, not in the world because the world kind of sucks. But you heard the intro. The Browns are in the damn playoffs. They are in the show. We're like, yo, there's no way we could not put an episode out with that kind of news. Thinking about where we started this thing. Yeah, and I, and I think when we're talking about this show going out, I have no idea what it's going to look or sound like because <laughs> when you're talking about bare bones production budget, this is as bare bones <laughs> as it gets because basically this is the three of us jumping on a Zoom call. Matt cut it up for us overnight. Which I haven't done in like two years, by the way. Yeah. So. As we all rest. <laughs> And then hopefully it lives somewhere because we don't have, as as you guys may know, uh, we don't have a home anymore for the Tomahawk <laughs> show. So we don't have anybody that can put it on iTunes for us or Spotify or wherever you find your podcasts. So uh, this might just be a, a phone call that lives like in cyberspace and nobody ever gets to hear it. But I'm yeah, damn excited. And I, and I think it's important to give all the Tomahawk members just a quick update on kind of where we are and where we've been and why we haven't been doing podcasts. Maybe you yeah. want to lead into that a little bit, just give them the synopsis. Yeah, to be, to be honest, I mean, we're kind of two big a deals, I think, is what it comes down to. <laughs> yes, uh, to, to keep us humble as always. Keep, you know us. For you guys to understand, we're too big for the podcast game. You know the Joe Rogan <laughs> guy with 
hundred million downloads. Well, we're bigger than him. Yeah, so. I mean that's that that pales a comparison. So I should say you can interact with the Tomahawk Show at Tomahawk Show on Instagram, on Twitter. No one's been running those channels, so I don't. You'll be talking to no one. Maybe we'll jump back on there and figure it out. <laughs> we'll definitely be tweeting out wherever this lives at. But yeah, to to, to be real, I mean, it, and that's what brings this full circle. For you, those of you who don't know, Fat Nat is now a big wig over at Bleacher Report. She basically runs the whole damn company. No, I don't. That's all anyone ever talks <laughs> about. Hard owner. Um, 49%. <laughs> 49% of the It's not majority, but let's just say she has a board seat. Anyway, b- besides that, it's crazy to see where we brought the show, man. Because when we first started this show, when it was the time of flock, it was me and you, Joe. We were sitting there in the Brown studio. We was off the backs, maybe right in the middle of an 0 and 16 season. Like the the, the paint hadn't even dry, dried yet. We were you, off me the backs. Me, you, NFD, <laughs> one and 31, and we're like, man, we want to get in the media. And hey, it'd be just cool to do a podcast. Let's get our feet wet and see what it turns into. And to be honest, like, and this is you know as humbly as I can say it, for us, we've taken off. <laughs> Probably ten times the amount we ever thought we would, and I don't. I don't mean that as a bragging thing. I mean it more as like a gratitude thing for all the Tomahawk listeners, everybody who's been a fan of the show, anybody who hits us up on social media. It's not joke. It's not tongue in cheek. I know we joke a lot here, but like where we're at, we could have never imagined. And to be honest, I mean there was some business stuff we were trying to figure out with the Tomahawk show, but it came down to we were just extremely busy booked and busy right between joe being the face of thursday night football along with some other superstars and that's one of the most coveted jobs in sports media all the radio shows he does the man owns cameo essentially i had never even heard of the thing until he brought it up and now look at what it's done um you know i mean i I do three shows with amazon three with the nfl network i got a show on discovery i got a sketch comedy show i'm doing i got a, 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 a VR company that's about to be announced here soon. And it's like, yo, we literally could not find the time for us to get down, get everyone together and do this um, in a way that made sense, which is yeah. a blessing. It sucks because it's still the funnest thing we've ever done. Um, and we're like, yo, we got to figure this out. So here we are, Joe, where he's at, it's like two in the morning. He's going on two hours of sleep, but he's like, yo, whatever we have to do to find the time, get fat dad on the phone and let's make it happen. Yeah, so basically the bottom line is everybody that we talked to, all these major networks brought offers to buy the Tomahawk show, but they wanted to turn it into a year-round weekly podcast, which just was more than we're willing to do. To be honest, we just wanted to keep it football-centric. We wanted to keep it Browns-focused, and everybody wanted to turn it into the next Good Morning America, and uh, (laughs) we, we just don't have time for that. And so Hawk and I have had these conversations almost weekly about how do we do a podcast like we've been doing it and and make it work? Because there was a ton of behind the scenes stuff that yeah. Uninterrupted provided us. Yeah, not to mention uh, Fat Nat and Zerm and the production team that we relied on because we didn't have time to do it ourselves like a lot of other podcasts. And we wanted to produce the top quality content for the Tama Flock. Um, and when you don't have that production team behind you, you can't do that. So we're still working on trying to find a way to make it happen. And hey, if this works good, what we're doing tonight, I'm happy yeah. to do this. We This is not an ad show. This is not uh, a show that's going to make some money. Not like we ever really made money. But like <laughs> this is just because we like getting together and we like hanging out. I like seeing your faces. And let, let's talk some Browns. Let's talk some NFL. So let's dive right into it. Real quick, before you start that, I just want to point out, I tweeted this, but a year ago in November was when we had our Tomahawk Live show. 
and yes. we were all in Cleveland together, and the Steelers were playing in Cleveland, and we won. Uh, so look at this, full yes. circle. Full yes, I love circle it. moment, Tomahawk show. It was like, I mean, we can't do a podcast, do all the rough bullshit that went on <laughs> in pro football, and we were able to ch- spin it and talk about it and, like, just – you know, have a place where everyone could come to and 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 ease their minds about it, and not do it when the when the Browns are absolutely in the show. So shout out to Nat Zerm. I'm going to name a bunch of people that I'll forget: Matt, Chris, Logan, John, TD, Taylor. Uh, yes, Taylor. Who else? There's so many people that I'm forgetting. There's Lojo, Naya. Um. All right. So yeah, let's get into it. All right. So we talked about where the hell we've been. We thank the Tom of Flock. We love you. We're glad we're, we're able to come in now with the Browns. So, like we were talking about, the Browns are in the damn playoffs, Joe. How the hell did we get here, man? Talk about just anything, because we literally have not talked about anything this season, and they've been on a historic run. So, start where you want to well, start. My suggestion I, is Baker Mayfield. Well, I mean, I think we talk about the maturity of Baker Mayfield and the influence that Kevin Stefanski has had on Baker Mayfield. Kevin, as you know, brought in the Kyle Shanahan drink offense from the Minnesota Vikings that he was running with Kirk Cousins and Mm -hmm. brought it here. But that's a great offense for Baker. There's no doubt. Baker really excels in the play action, the rollouts, working everything off of the run game that can set up the play action passing down the field, using his athleticism to get him out of the pocket. Shorter quarterback, he's going to throw better when he's outside the pocket. He can see more passing lanes, and he's probably one of the most accurate quarterbacks in the NFL, a la Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson, Patrick Mahomes, when he's throwing outside the pocket on the run. And, And so that's a big part of it. But I think the biggest influence on Baker and why we've seen the best version of Baker this season and why he's matured so much is because Kevin Stefanski brought a calming influence on Baker. I do a weekly show um, called Browns Live with Kevin Stefanski uh, and we interview him and I'm always asking him not like kill you hard questions. It's the Browns show. It's on their fucking website. I, of course, I'm not I, trying to kill him. But I'm asking him. I had no ahead. idea you did a show with yeah, yeah, Coach DeFantis. Thanks for being <laughs> a big fan. I watch you every Saturday. <laughs> Literally no here. idea. <laughs> no, no problem. It's it's not like the coach's show. It's Nathan Zagura and myself. We do Browns Live. And then Kevin Stefanski is a guest uh, for two segments where we get to ask him questions about last week's game and then look forward to the next week's game. So anyways, I'm always asking him questions that aren't like hard questions, but they're pointed questions that he could have an opportunity to maybe be a little bit more detailed and forthcoming and maybe critical or praise the players, like be a little bit more emotional, right? So I think to, if we had Freddie Kitchens on that show, the entertainment value would be way higher because we'd get a much more roller coaster up and down. He'd live with the highest highs and then, you know, slump to the lowest lows. And in a lot of ways, that's how Baker's personality is, right? When things are going well, we see that cocky, brash guy that pl- planted the flag on Ohio State's field that grabbed his junk when uh, he was playing in his rookie season. Uh, or maybe that was the second year. Can't remember. Uh, we don't have researcher anymore, so that's probably why. But, um, like, that's the version of Baker that comes out, and it's not always the best version of him on the field at the same time. But what Kevin has been... He's been this like steamroller that just evens out the emotions of Baker. And we've seen his play go in that same direction. He stayed good Baker much more consistently. He's been way less streaky in the midst of games. And he's been less emotionally in the tank when something bad happens. I'll, I'll reflect back 
on the Ravens game when they actually lost to the Ravens, but they played a really good game and everybody in the NFL gave him a lot of credit for how they fought. Baker threw a bad interception in the second half. He bounces back and plays lights out the rest of the game and then goes on this incredible streak for a couple weeks where he was just playing the best football of his career. And I think his ability to bounce back when a bad play happens is directly a result of his coaching from Kevin Stefanski and offensive coordinator Alex Van Pelt. He's definitely got his confidence, man. And I I think that last Ravens game was the thing that really stuck it for him. I think it made him feel like, oh, okay, yeah, I can actually do this. You know, as a player, you go through these times where you're at your highest of highs, and then when the lows happen, it's like, yo, will I ever dig out of this? Or maybe I'm not as good as I thought or people said I was. And it takes you having to, you know, grind your way out. And I feel like that Ravens game, you know, for Baker was the one where he was like, oh, okay, I'm good. Now I, now I figured out my process. Yeah, let me let me know if you guys have seen this, but from what, what I've seen from Baker is when he becomes really brash, like with the media or on the field, like to a cocky level, like where he takes that confidence and makes it cocky. Uh-huh. It's almost like he's doing that to cover up a little bit of like self, uh, a lack of self-confidence in what yeah. he's doing and maybe on the field or how his play has been. Mm-hmm. Um but when you see how he was, like, did you watch his post-game conference? I did. It was awesome. The yes. way he was talking about the city and how this meant to all those fans and how loud they were. Yep. Like, it was the professional, mature, but still a little bit confident, a little bit cocky version of Baker that is yep. the best version of him. And I love seeing it. And I want to see more of that in the playoffs because I think the Browns, honestly, they could ride that Baker Mayfield a long way in this playoffs. And I might even be seeing your pretty face in person in Tampa in February. If we get that version of Baker Mayfield, and I'm so excited to just see that Kevin's brought that out of him. Absolutely, man. I think you're right. It's like that version that felt like the the face of a franchise. We need him acting like that. And like, you know, he's super confident. Sometimes he gets into like the receiver style with the media in a way. And we don't want that. that. I know all about that. Don't don't be like Hawk. Be Be more like Joe. That is the my one gripe with Baker. The one thing if I can if I if I was being critical of him of this year, one thing I think he needs to grow on to really take the next step as an NFL quarterback. I would say this. Stop stealing the Tomahawks damn bits, all right? <laughs> we all know that's the catchphrase show in the postgame. Yes, yes. You know, it's, it, it, at least give us some damn credit, Joe. Am I wrong? Is that not ours? Right, man. He's been killing it with the catchphrase game this year, and it's a shame that he had, <laughs> had to steal our content and give us no citations. Golly. Uh, or we haven't even gotten any royalties from him, which is no really royalties. a shame because – I know he's been making uh, tens you, of millions on those fucking commercials that he <laughs> yeah, because golly. every week there's a new goddamn progressive commercial, like, which how is many unbelievable. Did you shoot? Like, like seriously, when, we had when COVID. the pandemic. How the when hell? The pandemic. We can't even get Hollywood to release one movie and you've released 20 different versions of the same commercial on progressive field, a progressive seen- insurance, first <laughs> energy stadium. We've seen the biggest budget movies tank because they didn't have the ability to shoot the way they wanted to. Meanwhile, we're on season nine of Baker Mayfield, the progressive at-home series it. on Hulu. All right, so shout-out to Baker Mayfield. You know, say what you want about him. He's he's done things no other quarterback has done. The Browns are going to the playoffs. They're, what, 11-5. and five. He is the quarterback of the future in Cleveland. Uh, who else we got to shout-out here, Joe? We got to talk Jarvis Landry. Jarvis Landry. I tweeted, you had a great tweet. I'll set you up. You had yes, a great tweet. Please. You said Jarvis Landry, the best free agent acquisition, uh, I think you said in the last 20 years. Mm-hmm. And I wanted you to have an opportunity to kind of explain your thought process or were you just looking for retweets? Because that's kind of what yeah. it sounded like. 
to me because everybody loves Jarvis Landry. I exactly. Read exactly. I'm like, oh, Jarvis Landry, of course. That guy's amazing. Yeah, Except I easy. said, you forgot about yourself there, big star. Yeah, it's an easy retweet situation, yeah. right? You know, I got to stack my engagement. That. You know, that's how we get paid. I have to show. <laughs> Look at the numbers that I'm doing every month. I did mean it because Jarvis is like with the mentality I think he brought, right? And he was a guy, and I'm, I'm, I'm being completely honest. And I said free agent acquisition and, uh, you know, obviously in excitement he was brought in through a trade. That's- Non-drafted. Yes. You, they get what I get. They, you, if, if you're half competent, you get what I was trying to say. But Jarvis Landry, he came in to the franchise. And when I was a player, and this is Coach Al Saunders was a receiver coach in 2016. We went 1-15. Okay. And I would watch you know, film around the league. I didn't typically watch other guys. I would only watch the players that I was playing that week. The one player, and it's the honest to God truth, that me and Coach Saunders would sit there because he had been in Miami as well. We would sit in his office and we would watch Jarvis Landry tape. And he would say like, yo, Hawk, he approaches the game like you. Every practice is full go. It feels like a game. Every game, every block, every backside runoff, he just cares more than everybody else. And I was such a fan of him. We, I think we met that offseason maybe at the Super Bowl in San Francisco or something. And we got to kind of catch up. And, you know, express that and that mentality that he's brought to the Browns that when things were bad, it wasn't like, yo, I'm going to cut and run. It wasn't, oh, what's up with this and what's that? It was like he was like, I'm, st- I'm going to figure it out. We're going to figure it out. It's a mentality. If I can get more guys in the building to think this way, we can turn this around. One of the two best things that Jarvis Landry does as a receiver when you watch him on film, mm-hmm. I'm not talking about meetings and stuff. I'm not talking about stuff people can't see. If yeah. I'm a young receiver in the NFL, if I'm a Browns fan, what are the two things that I watch when I see Jarvis Landry that I can have the most appreciation for? Number one, everything is full speed. There isn't uh, there isn't anything done lackadaisical. There isn't any thinking in the way. When you're a receiver and you can play full speed, that means you know everything. How right? does that help the quarterback? It helps the quarterback because he knows exactly what he's going to get out of Jarvis every single time. There's never a time he's tricked. There's never a time where he's like, oh, I don't know the tempo. I don't know if Jarvis isn't going to know this or that. Or not only that, Jarvis going full go on run plays and pass plays is a big deal because to a defense, it all looks the same. And what that does is it opens up everything in your pass game, especially with Jarvis being one of the number one targets. If I can never tell whether it's a run or a pass by the effort you're giving, the angles you're taking, um, the intensity that you're bringing play on and play out, it keeps me as a defender on my toes every play, and I got to give my everything, which wears down a defense. There's no indicators with the guy because he knows it that intently. And the second thing? Second thing, I said it all kind of in that in there. Just it's okay. it's, it's the intensity, and, it's his ability to block. It's I mean, yeah. it's just his willing willingness and want to man. There's such an accountability yeah. with him, okay. and you see it from day one and every time he touches the field. So how much? Did it hurt the Browns last week when Jarvis wasn't out there? Everything. I mean, it, 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 I mean, even if the guy wasn't playing, they probably would have had a better output, even if he stood on the sideline in his uniform and he was the guy that could break down the huddle and be on the field. They could look over and see him. He's been the leader of the team since he's been there. I mean, I think I've tweeted that multiple times too. But as he goes, the team goes. And that's what a lot of guys in that locker room have told me that I talked to him personally because he's that kind of, he's that kind of leader. You know what I mean? And I think he's the perfect situation for when he came in there, especially for a young Baker Mayfield because they feed off of each other. And now you're seeing them kind of morph into the same person 
right? And now that Baker's the quarterback, he's going to be that guy going forward because he's learning from the right way from a veteran like Jarvis. Um, I had a question for you guys when we're talking about wide receivers. How do you guys feel did Landry step up more or do you think he would have played the same regardless of the OBJ situation? Because I remember once OBJ got hurt, everybody was like, oh, we didn't need him. Like, he we didn't he wasn't doing anything he kind of had a rough start and people were kind of being down on him and saying we never needed him so I'm just curious about what your guys' thoughts are there because those are like the top two wide receivers yeah that's a good question and I'll Joe I'll, I'm gonna let you I'm gonna let you chime in on the OBJ situation first and so then I'll follow I pushed up. I pushed back really hard because this was a big question we had on Thursday Night Football and obviously we get a lot of receiver questions having Steve Smith and Michael Irvin on there and with Odell Beckham being uh, one of the big faces of the NFL and me being a Browns guy, the the, the conversation was, is the Browns offense going to be better without Odell? And I pushed back hard saying, I wouldn't look at those numbers, even though the offense has been more productive since Odell got hurt, um, because the, the opponents were maybe a little bit different. I think Baker was just becoming more comfortable within the offense. Um, but now as time has moved on, this is nothing about Odell. This is more about Baker feeling comfortable just letting the offense come to him instead of having to force things to go through certain guys. Because when you have as many weapons as the Browns have with Odell and Jarvis um, and Austin Hooper and David and Joku, and they, they really have all these weapons that want the football. Uh, and as a quarterback, especially a young quarterback, you can get that feeling a little bit like I got to get this guy's touches, especially early on, right? I want to keep him involved because I'm going to need him in the fourth quarter. And I think, as Baker was learning the offense, he did at times push the ball to Odell when he didn't have to. And I think that held his learning process back just a little bit. And then now playing without him, playing without your top four guys last week against the Jets, he's allowed to just see the field as a bunch of X's and O's and throw to what the playbook and what his coaches tell him, regardless of numbers on the field. Um, And I think that's made him a better quarterback. But I also will say they're going to welcome Odell back because this process of playing and learning this offense without Odell is only going to make it better once Odell is back. So I would be really pissed if the Browns did decide to move on from Odell, whether it be a trade or whatever, at the end of this season, which is something people have talked about. Because I think Odell um, coming back after – Baker's had a little bit of time with him being away is going to take this offense to the next level because Baker's going to feel confident to be able to just throw it wherever the defense allows him or tells him to throw it and not feel like he has to force it to one guy to give him his touches and understand that Kevin, that trust between him and Kevin Stefanski that, Hey, Kevin's going to call me some plays as he sees the defense and what they're doing that are going to allow me to naturally get the ball to Odell without having to force it to him. Absolutely. I'm, 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 in complete agreement with that, I think any issue that there was, and I don't want to even call it an issue, that's the wrong wording, with Odell and the continuity of the offense or chemistry of the offense came on the side of Baker Mayfield. Not in a bad way, he's just a young quarterback that, again, he has these you know, two toys on the outside. It's fresh out of Christmas. He wants to play with both of them as, as much as he can, <laughs> right? And, and that's really not how you want to run the offense. So to your point, you know, like when you're going against a, de- a defense, they're never going to forget about Odell Beckham. There's not going to be a time they just forget him going up the sideline. They're going to key him every play. And they're going to key Jarvis as well. And if those are the two options you're looking at as Baker Mayfield, and who could argue against that of saying, hey, throw it to Jarvis. If he's not there, throw it to Baker or to throw it to OBJ. You know, that's I, it's easier to cover. 
to be quite honest, right? So when Odell comes out of there, now you see Rashard Higgins take off a little bit. You see Peoples-Jones. You see Hodge because now Baker Mayfield is just throwing to the open guy, and that's how you run an offense no matter what kind of star power you have. And I think to your point, that's something you got to learn from experience. You watch Tom Brady down in Tampa run the offense, and even though we don't talk about him as much because it seems like nobody cares about the Buccaneers for whatever reason, he's got three all-star receivers, three Pro Bowl caliber receivers, and again, he's throwing to the open guy. It's not, I'm not forcing it to Antonio. I'm not forcing it to Mike Evans. I'm not forcing it to Godwin. Whoever's open gets the rock. That's how you play the game. So when Odell does come back, to your point, Odell will understand that, and Baker will understand it more of saying, oh, no, this only helps us become stronger because if you want to double Odell or you want to key on Jarvis, I'm going to Hickey down the middle of the field. I'm going to the tight ends. I'm going to Hodge. I'm going to Peoples-Jones, who you forgot about running up the seam, and he has the confidence in all those guys now. I was going to say, got to talk about the offensive line because that was the biggest question mark coming into the season for the Browns. Like, can they keep Baker clean? And when they do, can Baker protect the football if you keep him clean like we've seen in his rookie year? And they did that with flying colors. And, and you know, not even to mention the run game, which we'll get into, you know, I'm sure off the, off the backs of the, the O-line talk. Yeah, the offensive line, in my opinion, they're the best offensive line in the NFL. Clearly, I'm probably a little biased, being my Browns homerism. But I think even as an objective observer, Mm -hmm. you're going to look at this group and say they do probably run block better than any group in the NFL. And they're right up there with their pass blocking. I knew Jed Wills was going to be a stud when they drafted him in the spring uh, out of uh, out of Alabama um, watching his college film. It was the best college film that I've seen in my recent memory. Um, and so I knew the left tackle was going to be no problem. Joel Batoni who's an all pro. He's a professional. I knew he was going to be great. JC Treader professional. He, he's going to be wonderful at what he does. My big question mark was the right guard because Wyatt Teller, was a fifth round pick. Um, we hadn't really seen him perform at a high level going into the season, but he ends up turning out to be basically an all pro right guard. Bill Callahan, the job he's done with this offensive line has been top notch. Um, Wyatt Teller has kind of become that nasty, hard nosed, blue collar, grind you into the dirt type offensive lineman that every offensive line loves to have one of those guys. He's the, he's like the don't fuck with me guy. And I love having at least one of those guys. And he happens to be a really good pass blocker, too, outside of being a great run blocker. Jack Conklin is such a great fit in the system that they run, being that he ran the wide zone when he was in Tennessee. He was one of the best guys down in Tennessee running the wide zone. Um, and he's been fantastic for the Browns. So this unit, they're playing great football together, which is remarkable since they've hardly been able to practice together with COVID. They barely yeah. had any training camp. And they've gotten put together with a bunch of new pieces this season. Um, and they've just been awesome. Um, so they've been a huge part of why Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt are the best running duo in the NFL right now. And this is, in my opinion, the best performing offensive line in the NFL. So Joe Thomas or Jedrick Wills? Long-term or right now? Because I still think I got him right now, but that's what happens when you're a pro player, right, Hawk? You always (laughs) convince yourself that you're just a little better than the next guy, right? And that's how you have to be. You have to get into that mindset like, we're the worst team in the NFL. We're 0-16. We're coming off of a 1-15 season, but we're going to win this next fucking game. I just feel <laughs> I know it. This game plan is on point. I'm better than that dude. Like, nothing's going to stop me. Nothing's going to stop me. There's a little part of you, just a little bit, just a little bit pissed off that the Browns 
are the best they've been after your your career and literally not even coming not even sniffing the success they've had this year it's, it's so weird because i get asked that a lot like aren't you just a little mad and honestly like it is so far removed from my brain. And I think this is why I've adjusted to retirement better than a lot of guys do. You know, you talk to so many former players that really struggle with that transition from I'm a player to I'm not a football player anymore. Like you right. don't get treated the same way. You don't get the front of the line at the restaurant reservations, unless you're Andrew right. Hawkins, you still do, yeah. but uh, I don't anymore. Like your, your, your name and who you were is different. Even though you feel like you're the same person, you're not, getting yeah. the same star treatment and nobody <sighs> cares anymore, man. Like it's just the reality of it. And so many guys, they struggle with their transition, but I feel like I've done better than most people because I was really able to clean break and like not think of myself as a football player after the day I retired. And I think losing weight was a little bit of that help because there was yeah. never anything in my head saying, Oh, I, st I still think I can do that. You know what I mean? Like right. there was no part of me that just said, Ah, I think I can get back in shape like a Gronk. Ah, you know what? All I got to do is get back in shape and I can go back on the field and I can do what those dudes did it because I'm a competitor. And in my head, until the day I die, I think that I still can go out and play football. Like, here's a story from Michael Irvin when we were traveling uh, last year with Thursday Night Football. We were going to, I think it was San Francisco, and he was going to go see Jerry Rice. And he was like, Jerry Rice honestly asked me if I wanted to run stadiums in the morning. And I swear if you ask that dude... He thinks he can still go out and play a 16-game NFL season and be an all-pro right now. That's just the mindset he has, and that's the mindset. It's so hard to, like, flip that switch off. And so many guys have that hard time, but for me, I never had it. And so, which leads me back to your point, I was able to turn that switch off, and I've never even considered turning it back on. And so I've never, like, thought in hindsight about what would have been if they were good when I was there because I just – I don't think about that anymore. Right. Yeah, no, I, and I'll do you one better. I, I never turned it on while I was a player. So <laughs> I never thought That's I could you ever be the highest pro. of highs. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was setting up yeah. a media career from I, day one. I will say my one regret is right now that I don't live in Cleveland, that I'm not I able know, to celebrate man. with that team to be part of what's going on in Cleveland. Because I don't know about you, but I had – probably 500 text messages from friends and family that are still living in Cleveland or throughout the country that are big Browns fans, like congratulating me on the Browns right. making the playoffs. <laughs> I'm like, dude, I'm not on the team anymore. You don't have to congratulate me. People were sending me, no joke, photos of them crying, videos of them crying, like how <laughs> excited they were, how and the stories behind them, like, hey, I'm 30 years old and – the Browns made the playoffs in 2002 and I was, you know, six years old or whatever back then. And this is the day I've always dreamed of. My dad was a season ticket holder for 30 years. He passed away a couple years ago and he was never able to see this moment where the Browns get back to the playoffs. Um, it's just such an emotional moment. I think Baker touched a little bit on that in his post game uh, for the whole city of Cleveland, for the Cleveland Browns fans. It's like they finally got over the hump. And I, I feel like when the Browns came back in 99, the fans were there, but there was always this trepidation in their mind, like, we're not back yet. Right. But I feel like winning that game today, which happened today, it's another podcast releasing tomorrow, but yeah, winning that game today, getting into the playoffs as an 11-5 of team, doing it yourself, feels like the old Browns of the 2000s that sucked 
that always let us down, like that is completely behind us. And now we're back to the glory days of the Browns who were here before the team left uh, in 96. It takes a while to put that legacy back in place and rebuild that foundation. And to your point, it, it feels like they've they've done it, right? And to, I think they I, did I, absolutely. My phone did the same thing. Feel. My phone has been blowing up all day. Like I actually am a part of the team yeah. because they know, man. They know the the, the freaking tomahawk was here when shit was low. We had to think about this, Joe. We were probably the first active NFL player led podcast. In pod- now, podcast industry is huge now. But yeah, look time- where we are now. We were the first, and now we're the biggest. <laughs> I mean, but we were probably the first there, and, and we were centered around a team that has statistically the worst record in professional football. So when people were texting your phone, they're not stupid. They know what that must have been like. They understood we were trying to make sugar out of you-know-what. You know what I'm saying? So we get to celebrate that same way. And even as players, like we, we wore those losses on the chin so that we could have a first overall pick down the line and, you know, have the draft capital. These are to your point, we were players and we had that kind of pride and we, you know, we still went out there, strapped it up and put it on understanding that this is for the future. So I'd be damned if we don't get to also be invested in this and also get to celebrate this as if we are in a team. You know what, as I was watching the Browns today and after we made the playoffs, I was like reflecting on that one in 31 stretch. And I was, I I get asked a lot, like, you know, what happened? And, you know, what about the tanking strategy? Because the Jets were tanking and the Jaguars were tanking. Like every year, it seems like there's a tanking story. Mm -hmm. And for some reason, they always call me to ask about (laughs) it. (laughs) I'm the expert on tanking. But (laughs) I think the thing that was overlooked by management when they underwent the deep rebuild during those seasons, you could call it tank if you want, was they underestimated like the mental strain and how it changes you as a man, as a competitor, to go through so much losing when you're literally putting out every bit of effort you possibly can. And you, every week you convince yourself, this is the game plan, these are the players that we need to win. Yeah. And then when it doesn't happen, you almost become shell-shocked. I listened to this. Uh, great World War One podcast a long time ago, and this is where you guys can go take a nap. But they say, talked about like soldiers. This is a long podcast. Like, Finally, like get to take a little bit of a snooze. <laughs> Thank you. you. World War One. I know on, you've had bro. a lot of bourbons already, so here you yep. go. This uh, is your chance for a cat nap. So, um, so real quick, uh, those soldiers they would they went to war and they had no idea what they were getting into. You know, they're all gung ho, and they came home like shell shocked, where they legitimately were different people. Some of them couldn't speak. They they just had no like connection with humanity anymore after the things that they've seen and i'm not saying like in any way that war is like the brown season but like when you go through the amount of losing the browns did during that stretch we did one in 31 like it changes you as a person and mentally i talked about it on this podcast how i had to go see like um a psychiatrist or a psychologist i don't know what's the difference is but one of those two to like help me mentally it was me. Be able to understand that. It was you and your bottle of bourbon, <laughs> yeah. um, which happens to be really good. But, uh, but yeah, but I, I think like as fans, it, it, uh, Browns fans, like they went through a lot of those same feelings because they were loyal through the worst stretch of football in NFL history, but they still stuck around. They still had that passion. They still watched those games. And so I think today was like 
finally cutting that last bit of cancer out and being declared cancer-free moving forward so you can finally feel good about being a Browns fan. You don't have to hold anything back anymore about your love of your team, about feeling excited and optimistic, and you don't have to feel like that scorned girlfriend that's been dumped and cheated on again and again and again by the boyfriend. (laughs) You know, it was actually so sweet that – I even got messages saying congratulations, and I'm like, <laughs> wow, thank you. I've only been a fan for a couple of years, but hey, I'll take it. <laughs> hey, well, you were you were around for the 0-16. I was, season. I was, I was, hey, and that was pointed yeah, so, out to me. It was like, okay, you were there, okay, when it was 0-16, so you deserve this congratulations. I was like, I will take it. That's at least three seasons in and of itself, Fat Nat. So what, is it, what does it feel like for you getting your first playoff? Is I, I, are the Browns your top team? If you say no, we're going to delete all your voice off this, <laughs> this uh, For the episode. sake of that, I'm going to say they are my top team. My, okay. you, if you listen to the Tomahawk show, you know my story. My heart is always with the 49ers. I'm from the Bay Area. But I have honestly gotten very invested in the Browns. Like I watch them all the time. I focus on them. I actually follow like what's going on with the team and everything as opposed to you know, just any regular fan. So I am definitely very excited for what happened and for the future because I do think it's looking bright. I love it. And since Kyle Shanahan is your head coach, we'll always allow some 49er talk drink. Um, Joe, one thing you talked about uh, adjusting to life after like your career and not being a player anymore. How have you adjusted to uh, women calling you sexy now that you have a six pack and have lost a ton of weight? Uh, I wish my wife would call me sexy. That would be uh, a real big adjustment. I don't know how I would handle that one. Uh, no, it's, it's been, it's been funny being called like skinny. Cause I always still see that fat guy in the mirror and maybe that's like a, a deep psychological problem. I should yeah. uh, maybe talk to psychologist, Mr. Bourbon and uh, <laughs> Mr. Hawkins about, but I tell you what, I do feel so much better being thin and yeah. than I did when I was, I was playing. But the thing that's killed me about COVID is having my yoga studio like totally shut down in Madison, and this is lame mm. talk, but this is um, very lame. My body, yeah. my body hurts right now from not being able to like get out there and, and get my yoga practice in, which kind of sad. How about yeah. you, Hawk? You you got thin again. That was really, I did. really good to see you, dude. I did. I should. I mean, Tom and Flock would want to hear this. I haven't uh, had a Mountain Dew since July, so wow. we can. We can uh, cross off that date on the calendar where you're named back-to-back Mountain Dew Man of the Year. Yeah, no, man. It's, no, they didn't come through with the brand deal. So I was like, you know what? F this noise. I'm not going to die unless I get, you know, a brand deal. Um, so, yeah, no, I've, I've been drinking nothing but water, uh, low fat, low sugar. I actually lost probably since the last Tomahawk show we've done. I lost probably 20 pounds, which is Dude, wild right? because I don't look like I have 20 pounds to lose. Yeah, a five six man loses 20 pounds. <laughs> like it's a big deal. That's like you. That's like you losing 70. It's the same thing. At least. So you yeah. you had the same transformation I did essentially. Basically. Uh, yeah, but hey, you you had a great tweet today about Andrew Barry. Yes, man. I, Didn't I said you take about Andrew Barry? He's like the most low key undercover GM in the NFL, but it seems like he's been making all the right moves. Yeah. That's that's how you know somebody's really good at what they do. Kind of, you know, similar to our earlier conversation about, you know, I, I mean, I don't want my, my I don't want my GM being a, a a figurehead, to be honest, right? Like, 
The dude is just there making smart business decisions. And we know Andrew because Andrew was there when we played, right? And he was like an understudy. And he was a guy that everybody was excited about. And he went on from there to other organizations and brought it back because of the impression he left with the Browns. And they were smart enough to say, hey, this is the guy that should run our organization. We've seen him from the ground up. We know how smart he is. We know he understands where we've been. And he understands how to take what we've already done as a foundation to take it into the future. And just in a short year, he's made a lot of incredible decisions. Right. And, and, and that's the beauty of like kind of where the Browns are now is because it does feel a little bit homegrown in that sense. And, you know, he's done a bang up job and I'm I'm sure even more in the way. And, you know, even with the Stefanski, like that was absolutely the right hire. I don't give a damn what happens from here on out. To your point, his personality is what the players feed off. He's a guy who you could tell understands them. Right. He understands who they are. He understands, you know, how to relate to them and get and motivate them we've seen time and time again we would talk about it as players anytime the coach came in and their first week after and you and you ran through what nine ten off the coordinators a bunch of head coaches gms and it was always the first thing they'd say we're gonna make you guys tough oh shit. if only the other guy yeah. had that thought oh, why, why didn't you tell gosh. the other guy he'd still be here Wow, why didn't we think of that? Hey, we're going to get tough. Pass it down. This is a new innovative strategy they're bringing into Cleveland. We tried that with Mancini and we started 1 and 11. (laughs) Immediately. That's the first thing they would say. Very tough, but we got our ass whipped. We'd all look around at each other like, okay, here we go. All right, here comes the tough guy, right? Like, nobody's thought of discipline, right? I would say that like a coach, if he's yelling at me about effort, it's because he doesn't know anything else about the game to coach me on. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> if you're telling if you're if you're telling me we're gonna coach you up on toughness, like that means you don't know much about the game of football. <laughs> Kyle Shanahan drink never talked one time about toughness. Never heard of he never heard of technique, X's and O's and how exactly. I want you to do this exactly this way, and I want the other ten guys to do this exactly this way, and then we're gonna have great success. That's what he talked about. <laughs> never right. once did he say toughness or discipline. He's like, hey, I'm an expert on toughness and like, keep that at the high school level. <laughs> so yeah i mean it's the fans you could tell came in took what he had and he's like all right i understand where to fit in i understand how to move maneuver this stuff around because this is by and large a lot of the same team we've seen here you know what i mean and so you really have an apples to apples to comparison of okay here's the same talent pool what can you do with it and now we see what he and andrew can do with it uh the next thing i want to talk about it, it, let me let me see this hollywood higgins richard higgins yes he was a guy that both of us played with you were in that room with him so yeah. Uh, he was always one of my favorite rookies that I'd ever been around because he practiced he, he practiced super hard. Mm-hmm. Seems like he was always doing the right things. He was putting in the extra time in the meeting room. And um, he was always coming up to me and asking me questions, which usually receivers, they don't care what offensive linemen think. But I was always impressed with him when I was in the room with him. And then last year was really weird because he had like this weird falling out. And, and some of the other players did with that coaching staff. And I never really figured out what happened. Right. Um, but I love the guy, and I wanted to get your take because his game and his production has really exploded, and his connection with Baker, especially since OBJ got hurt, has yep. really percolated into being one of the most important receivers on the field when the Browns uh, go on their next Sunday versus Steelers. It, it sucks because there's so many players whose careers end up in a graveyard that nobody ever, with unmarked names that no one cares or understands or hears about, because they may be in odds with the coaching staff or because the coaching staff says, hey, you're not drafted in this round or because an organization says, hey, you're not that fast. You're not, you know, we're not selling a bunch of jerseys with you. We're going to go with these guys that more splash, blah, blah, blah. 
that was always my thing with Rashard Higgins, man. And, and yes, obviously I'm biased because I know him, but I'm not biased because I know him because I know a lot of guys that I play with that I don't feel this way about. I don't preach this way about, even when it seemed like they were at their lowest of lows. You know, but this is the kind of guy Higgins was. When I was with the Browns, he was a rookie in that draft class where we, I think we drafted four receivers one year, right? And I was the leader of that team, and I was kind of like a coach player. Yeah, I was a player, but I was like more of a – I felt like a babysitter because everyone was so young. I would have these uh, film sessions at my house. I had like – You had one foot in New England already. Yeah, I was already thinking about you're, my – You are starting my your legacy years. in New yeah, England. Yeah, I'm, like, I'm going to get a ring with those guys, right? So let me at least teach these guys something before I go. <laughs> so I, I had a, a theater room, and we would watch film. So I would invite all the rookies over, all the receivers over to come watch film at my house. Because I had to make sure they were watching film. They, like, you have to learn to watch film, guys. This is important. It's not just coaches raining down on you. So I'm a, I'm a fellow player. Follow my lead. Come watch film at my house. We'd have food. My, my, my wife would order a bunch of food for everybody. Buffet style, as much as you can eat. Um, I can't remember what the restaurant was. Yeah, I was going to say, you give me any little clue and I'll nail it because it wasn't I am fair on the food scene, bro. What, what, are the, what give, me a, give me another restaurant. W or uh, XO Steakhouse? Asian hibachi. Asian hibachi. Shinto's. Shinto. We would order Shinto's. Shinto's is great. Love we would spot. order Shinto's every time. And they knew they come to my house. We had Shinto's. We had dessert. We had a, you know, we're going to sit there. We're going to watch the cut ups that pertain to Higgins. If, the, if, if it started at 6, everybody would roll in probably around 6.20. Higgy would be there at 5.30. So we would have about 50 minutes of just one-on-one time. Everyone would leave hour and a half, to an hour and a half into it. Higgy would stay an extra 50 minutes, and we would continue to watch film. After practice, he would hound me down, hey, Hawk, can you stay with me 15 minutes after practice? So after practice, we would work on simple things like starts, coming out of breaks, where you focus your eyes and catch it. The littlest details that he was just trying to pick up anything. And to your point, he would go to you. He would go to Joe Hayden. Hey, when you're playing corner, like, what are you looking for? Because he wanted to know these things because he really wanted to be the best. And I was like, yo, Hickey, you're a fifth-round pick. You might not have been the highest-drafted receiver. You might not be getting a lot of love or playing time now, but I can promise you you're going to be the most successful. He's like, well, how, Why how do you, you think know? it's so important to him? I love I saw this meme one time and it said, like, if it's important enough to you, you'll find time to do it. And it was a it was a picture of a guy riding a scooter and he was stopped at a stoplight and he had dumbbells in his hand and he was doing barbell curls. And I'm like, yeah, dude, he's a man after my own heart. Right. Yep. And I've always felt that it was a little bit like that in the NFL. If it's important enough for you, you'll spend the extra time on the practice field. You'll spend the extra time in the meeting room. And Higgy always seemed like that guy It was really important to him. And you know him better than I do. And I'm just curious, like, why does it seem like it's more important to him than most other guys? Because he's one of those guys, man. And, and Joe, you can recognize him when you see him. That failure isn't an option, right? That doesn't guarantee success. But what it says is, if there is an avenue to figure this out, I'm going to find it. It's not going to be because I didn't do the work on my end. If it takes me asking every single player in this locker room, every coach, every person in the front office, anybody around the league, any coach I can get access to, I'm going to figure it out. If I don't make it, I don't make it, but it won't be because I didn't try. And that's, it sounds crazy, but it is rare in the league. And for Higgy, that was his mindset. It was like, yo, I don't care where I was drafted. I don't care how you regard me. If I have a chance, failure is not an option for me. And, and I think that's the thing that set him apart, man. And, and for a lot of young guys, it takes a while for that to click. And it clicked for him early. So that's when I knew, I'm like, I don't care what you think his 40 time is or isn't. I don't care 
where you think his standing is or isn't, this is a guy that's going to be successful. If it isn't here, it's going to be somewhere else. So kudos to him for, you know, honestly taking less to come back to the Browns on a one-year deal, betting on himself, letting the stars align and reward him for the kind of guy he is and the kind of work he puts in, because I can't imagine he's going to sign a contract, you know, less than that changes his life, to, to be honest. And, and, and anybody would be crazy not to give him that contract because it was very clear early on with Baker, his chemistry, and especially now in this run that's put the Browns in position to be in the playoffs. Did you ever hear what happened last season and why he was not a bigger part of the team and then why he had that falling out? I have literally no clue. Okay. I mean, it's a conversation. Thanks for the insight. That's why people come to the Tomahawk Show for yeah. great insight from that's, a couple of former players. That's what I do. I'm, I'm behind the, the scenes in the locker room. <laughs> great job. Give you a little something you don't get anywhere else. I have no yeah. idea. Yeah. Um, um, let's pivot to some NFL talk here before we go into the uh, preview of next weekend's big battle in Pittsburgh. <clears throat> Who's your NFL MVP? My MVP is Aaron Rodgers. Dude's been balling. Now, I, I, I think you can argue Josh Josh Allen, as I'm burping because the bourbon. Good job. Um, <laughs> the bourbon. You said Kyle Shanahan way too many times. Um, but I, I you could argue Josh Allen, who I think has had an incredible career, and um, the watching the maturation levels and development year after year, and like, uh-oh, what was that? Your computer my, just got drunk. Yeah, my table off. just collapsed. Looks like me and we were both having bourbon. Let's get a good <laughs> angle here. Luckily, this is not real TV. For those of you that aren't (laughs) watching the uh, live Skype feed, that's just Nat. The two of us, it's just Nat. For 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 those of you that are not Nat, this is great entertainment. Behind the scenes, that Hawk has this wonderful outfit on. He's wearing this very dapper hat. That's probably four hundred dollars. Bought a jacket that he bought somewhere in Beverly Hills, some high-end boutique for probably twelve hundred bucks. He's got a ten thousand dollar chain on. And then he's wearing gym shorts underneath. But, <laughs> That's a typical uh, I, Zoom outfit. That is the Zoom outfit. I did Thursday Night Football from home. Every single day this year, I was wearing gym shorts. And then I had my <laughs> suit and tie up top. And as soon as I got off, I would take that off and go into my gym shorts and T-shirt. And then put it back on for halftime. Take it off. <laughs> put the monkey suit back on for post game. So uh, good to see that you didn't change, even though the uh, postseason is upon us. But MVP. MVP, Aaron Rodgers, close second, uh, Josh Allen. Oh, over Mahomes. Yeah, I like I like it. And it sucks. It, it, I feel it like you had a moment there that you forgot about Mahomes for a second because of the bourbon. And yeah. in true TV star <laughs> fashion, instead of, yeah, yeah, in, instead of... Instead of owning up to it, say, I gave a point. Saying like, why. oh, I forgot. Like, you're trying to think of a reason why you wouldn't have included Mahomes with Aaron Rodgers. But go ahead. That, that was your behind-the-scenes take from the Tom we- Hawk Show. We've definitely been doing way too many shows and not enough podcasts. Yeah. You're exactly right. I'm like, yeah, the reason why I don't give Mahomes. Yeah, the reason is, you know, Mahomes uh, uh, had too many 29 degree arm angle throws, which uh, the, the statistics, <laughs> Cynthia Freeland says, uh, in the long run, is going to hurt him down the stretch. Yeah, that, that's behind the scenes for the time of flock. All <laughs> sports media is BS. But I will say this about Mahomes he does fall into the trap of being too good, right? It's similar to the, the coach of the year. My goal, my my vote is Kevin Stefanski for what he's done with the Browns. You, uh, a Kansas City Chiefs fans would say, "What are you talking about? The Chiefs won one, lost one game. Why isn't Andy Reid the coach of the year? Or Sean Payton? Why isn't he the coach of the year for what he did when Drew? You know." But it's like, oh, once you're so good, the level that it takes for you to get those nods, 
is is a little higher. That's where I feel like Mahomes is. For Aaron Rodgers, he's had one of the best career or best seasons he's had in his career. So he's re- he's reached that bar with Mahomes. We've seen him at the top of the top, and he hasn't matched that level. So I think for me, that's why it's like, well, Josh Allen is playing incredible ball. The Bills are also a team in better position than they've been in 20 years, and he's never reached this this level of play in his career. So he makes sense to me. For your yeah, behind-the-scenes sports media thing. It's the Bill Belichick. He should have been the coach of the year for the last 15 years, exactly. not, not this year. But n- you didn't want to vote the same guy every year. You wanted to see who made the biggest jump and right. who took their team from where it was and uh, put it up on the pedestal. I agree. Aaron Rodgers, I think him and Patrick Mahomes have played a similar amazing historic season. But Patrick Mahomes has more weapons. I know it's a tired take. But Aaron Rodgers is doing the same with less weapons. Um, And so I think that's why he should be rewarded. More difficult task. If you do the same task, but it was harder to get there, I think you win the tiebreaker. So uh, who's your team to beat in the playoffs? Before before we get the team to beat in the the playoffs, Nat, who's your MVP? I was going to say Rodgers too. That's my MVP. Yeah, he's my MVP. Didn't you used to love Mahomes? I do love Mahomes, but I mean, Mahomes is like, Okay, he's MVP in my heart. He'll always be my MVP, but always my I'm, MVP. <laughs> but wrong. seriously, from this season, I I'm gonna have to go with Aaron Rodgers. All right, we'll we'll allow it. I feel like you don't really love Mahomes that much if you go with Aaron Rodgers, though. But <laughs> regardless, no, okay. she's saying she's putting her bias aside. That's true professionalism, Hawk. I guess exactly. A, we don't do professionalism on the Tomahawk Show. <laughs> Everyone who was at our live show understands that. <laughs> yeah, that whole weekend was. Nothing professional about it. All right. So team to beat in the playoffs. This is going to sound stupid based on the conversation we just had, but it's got to be to me, the chiefs because they're the most talented football team and they have the best quarterback in the league. Yeah. It's, it's gotta be the chiefs. I mean, 14 and two in the regular season, um, Patrick Mahomes at quarterback, they've lost two games in like what, two years or something. Insane. Mm-hmm. I don't know. We don't have a researcher. They haven't lost in a while, and they won last year's Super Bowl, and they look better this year. So they got to be the team to beat. All right. For you, what what uh, surprisingly good team this year that you didn't expect to be good, and they were better than you thought? <clears throat> the Dolphins. I was really yeah. surprised because I knew Fitzpatrick would be up and down. He was more up than down. And then the fact yeah. that he got benched was shocking. The fact that their defense has been really, really good and made a tremendous improvement um, was a surprise. I think we always knew Brian Flores was going to get the defense playing better. But it's interesting to watch Brian Flores, who was the defensive coordinator in New England, and Matt Patricia, who was the defensive coordinator in arguably New England when they had a better defense. And Matt Patricia goes to Detroit, has longer in Detroit, and was never able to get that defense playing very well. Brian Flores goes down to Miami in the middle of basically tanking for Tua, and now he's got one of the best defenses in the NFL. And even in spite of the idiocy of of benching Ryan Fitzpatrick, who is playing great football for a rookie unproven quarterback who has played bad football since he's been in there, uh, they're still winning games. It's been insane to me. so I think for me, they've been the most surprising team and they were right on the cusp of getting into the playoffs today. Had they had their, uh, in case of emergency break glass quarterback, Ryan Fitzpatrick to be able to yeah. come in when Tua was sucking, which he was today. Uh, I think they would have won that game and they would have been in the playoffs. But unfortunately for the Dolphins, Ryan Fitzpatrick got put on the COVID list and was not available today. 
Quick Dolphins question. Would you keep going with, would you keep Tua as your number one guy? Or Here's here's the thing about the Dolphins, and I know we're running out of time. Yeah, you don't have to go off on a tangent, but just like, just right. curious, would you keep him as your as your guy? Yeah, I mean, we can't not go on a tangent, but I would just <laughs> say I didn't understand the flip This is a 30-minute podcast. It's already Flore- an hour. <laughs> Flores has been killing it all year. He's got the team motivated. I didn't understand the flip-flop, but I, maybe he's like, the magical Fitzmagic slipper falls off every time he does well, so I'm trying to get out in front of it, right? But to go back and forth between quarterbacks, it's like, hey, either stick with this guy or that guy, because I think, honestly, although Tua has played well sometimes and struggled a lot, I think a lot of that is his confidence. And you can't – I don't care how much he smiles and says, I trust my coach, and yeah, Fitzpatrick has been great. I don't give a damn – He's a competitor. That hurts your confidence to feel like the guy who can't actually close a game, right? There's not a franchise quarterback that you're going to take out of the game if you actually believe he's the guy. So even if it takes losing, you those are things you have to learn with the experience. And, and you know, maybe Flores doesn't feel like he has the, the leash to be, be able to not to lose those games or risk it. But for Tua, I can't help but feel like today watching him struggle, like, yo, this is a dude whose confidence just isn't there in himself. Yeah. And you, I don't feel like the situation – that he's in makes him feel any more confident. Yes, you were better off sticking with Fitzmagic the whole time. I'm really worried about Tua's future, and here's why. So every time I've played with a defensive coordinator as a head coach, I don't think they fully understand the mindset and the mentality that quarterbacks have and how quarterbacks' egos and confidence is so important for their ability to stand back there, trust their eyes, and let the football rip. And I think defensive coordinators, they kind of poo-poo that when they shouldn't. Um, I had it with Eric Mangini, who played the flip-flop back and forth with the quarterbacks. Yep. Had it with Romeo Cornell. He did the same thing back and forth Patton. with quarterbacks. Mike Pettin. Yep. When you do that, you destroy quarterbacks' confidence, especially young quarterbacks. And that's something that, once it's gone, it's hard to get back. I'm worried how they've been playing this back and forth with Tua, that there's a chance that they've ruined him mentally because he got played too soon. Fitzpatrick was playing really good. He came in there and was so conservative, so afraid to throw anything beyond five yards because he didn't want to make the mistake uh, that he wasn't able to grow. And then we just saw more and more of that, and it got even worse. And then every time he was playing bad, but they needed to win the game, they'd put Fitzpatrick in there who'd go and light up the team, and then they'd win. And then they'd go back to Tua. And so I'm really worried about if you keep Fitzpatrick around and this is like their strategy, like, oh, we'll put two in there, try to get him experience. And then as soon as he's playing bad, we put Fitzpatrick in there and then the ball goes where it's supposed to go. Like, that's how you destroy a quarterback. And I'm really worried. That, and I think Flores has done an amazing job. He might be the coach of the year when it's all said and done. But how he's handling Tua, they got to be very careful and handle him with kick yeah, gloves man. because – this is something that I've seen from defensive coordinators that they don't fully appreciate how important confidence is with quarterbacks. And there's a chance that he could root to it if he continues down this path. I agree, especially for a young quarterback. All right. So surprisingly bad team, surprisingly bad player and surprisingly good player and surprisingly, I don't think I have surprisingly surprising. Yeah. Surprisingly surprising scenario right now. <laughs> um, I'll give you it real quick. So All my right. surprising bad team was the Vikings. Uh, Dalvin Cook, one of the best running backs in the NFL. They have one of the best rushing attacks. Gary Kubiak, great offensive coordinator. Taught Kyle Shanahan drink. I'm watching you, Hawk. Kirk Cousins, Pro Bowl quarterback, supposed to be highly paid, highly touted quarterback, throwing the ball to Adam Thielen and a bunch of weapons. Um, 
your head coach is a defensive coordinator, supposed to be a great defensive mind. And if you hire a defensive coordinator to be a head coach, you lose the ability to bring in some of the greatest offensive minds in the game because those guys are already head coaches, right? So you're already starting with the second tier as far as getting offensive minds in the game. Now, they got really lucky because they found Gary Kubiak, who has like some stress heart issues, so he can't be a head coach. So they have one of the best offensive coordinators in the game. But you have to be willing as a owner to hire a head coach who's a defensive guy to give up a little bit on offense because you're going to get more out of your defense. You're going to be able to take 11 regular Joes and you're going to squeeze every last drop out of them because they're going to be attention to detail incredible. Incredible game plan specific every single week being able to shut down the opponent's best things that they want to do, the best players that they have, the best options that they have. And so to have Mike Zimmer, who's thought of, and I, I thought he was a great defensive coordinator when he was in Cincinnati. You worked with him when you were in yep. Cincinnati. To have guy. such a bad defense, even though I know they lost some guys on defense, um, and then the team underperformed the way they did, they were my surprising bad team. All right, so for the sake of time, I'm going to say surprising good team, surprising bad team, Falcons, surprising good team, Bills, not really surprising uh, good player. I'd give it to Justin Jefferson, the rookie. He's also my my rookie of the year pick. Um, I think Stefan Diggs, super underrated, is a beast. I'm glad he he is like everybody's realizing his greatness. Uh, what other things? Defensive player of the year. So I'll handle all those. You give me your defensive player of the year, and then I'm also going to let you give some Denzel and Miles uh, Garrett love before we go into previewing the Browns versus Steelers next week. So my defensive player of the year is a uh, member of the Tomahawk, Aaron Donald. Mm-hmm. He was your boy from yep. Pitt. Uh, it was tracking to me, Miles Garrett, for a little while. Then he got COVID. He was out. Uh, He's come yeah. back. He's talked a lot about trying to get back into shape. It's been tough. He hasn't had the numbers since then. So I think uh, it's pretty clear to give Aaron Donald the player of the year because he's been a uh, record shop every single week. He is yep. that guy you can't block in the middle of the defense every single week. He changes the game. Mm, I love it. Okay. Miles Garrett buried the hatchet with uh, Rudolph, the red-nosed reindeer, which was cool to see. They, you know, they they, they shook hands and, you know, it's all behind them now. So that, that was pretty cool to see. Denzel Ward didn't play. He's been a beast, uh, as good as any other cornerback in the league, for my money, to be honest. And there's a lot of players like that. I'm trying to think who else we didn't mention for the Browns. It's hard to so, get this all in. Uh, yeah, let, let me ask you this quick because we're doing um, – 100 podcast episodes in an hour and, and 15 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> um, I have this weird bias against Mason Rudolph. Oh, yeah. That I, I still hold this like anger towards him as a quarterback. It's never your place to pick a fight with a defensive lineman because you know you're going to get your ass whipped. And you know the only way out of that is if your big brothers show up your offensive line to defend yes. you. So you shouldn't be picking fights that you can't finish. Right. Like it's like don't the, write checks that your ass can't cash. It's the oldest rule on the playground. And the fact that he started that fight has always made me like a hater since then. And so yes. when he was out there today, I was like, get him, get him. Yes, I, I sounded like that old lady. Get him, get him, sack him. And so I, I definitely have a, a bias against Mason Rudolph. We're going to have to get him on the show because they would show him <laughs> on the sideline and I could, I could feel myself getting annoyed and being like <laughs> this, 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 effing dude man look at oh. him and my he's wife probably, like, yeah what is your problem i'm like eh, whatever he's probably a really nice guy but anyways <laughs> uh, we digress uh denzel ward didn't play what type of an impact did it have on today's game against the steelers we hope mm-hmm. that he'll be back next yeah. week against the steelers so as we look forward to next week's game 
What can Browns fans take out of this week's game, how there was maybe some secondary problems in coverage yeah. that they won't have next week with Denzel back, hopefully? So many things to say that just ran through my head because half Good. of it is the bourbon, half of it is just we haven't done this in a long time. So I want to tell everyone who's listening, this is off-the-cuff stuff you're listening to. We didn't really put a rundown together. We just jumped on a call and we're like, yo, let's just talk and see what it does. I like the results so far. That being said, you can tell me and you, Joe, are very much in sports media mode because oh, yeah. we're way too professional for the Tomahawk show. So if you're listening, you're like, yo, these guys sound like they're an NFL network. We apologize. We're going to get that? our footing back together. The other point is there is so much to talk about. We can't put it all into this show because we've been out so long. So maybe we'll do a playoff preview. So we should call this version of what we're talking about for the wild card Browns and Steelers just a teaser. We'll see a teaser and hopefully we'll find the time to preview the entire playoffs maybe later this week because it feels good to be back, Joe. Denzel Ward has been a beast, man. I mean, not just this season since he's been there. It, it means so much to have a reliable corner that you're like, yo, he's going to mitigate whatever their top receiver is and know that you're getting something out of it, right? And and and, and that's what I think Denzel brings to the table and what they're missing today. And hopefully he's back for next week because as you're watching that young passing attack for the Steelers, and one of those guys is a guy that I've mentored since he's been 18 years old, Deontay Johnson. Like, he's a guy that I talk to weekly. Nice right? name so, drop. Yeah, it's a quick name drop. No big deal. Hawk mentors the best receivers in the league. <laughs> like, it's whatever. Like, stop pressing me about it, Joe. I'm just saying. I'm just trying to be honest here. But, you know, a guy like uh, Denzel Ward is going to be able to take whoever he's on out of the play, whether it's Deontay, whether it's uh, – Claypool was the big one. Claypool, Claypool had five catches Washington. today for 100 yards. He had a lot of 50-50 balls. Yeah. He was able to just go up and win what was was not like a great pass by Mason Rudolph. No. He just knew that his guy was going to be able to outcompete the defensive back, uh, and he did, especially with Claypool, a number of times today. And those aren't plays you make on on Denzel Ward. Like, he prides himself on that. He has the right amount of piss and vinegar in him to, like, have – you know, he's not just let you go out there and just catch 50-50 balls on him all day. So that's a big deal. So what do you think Browns on defense do uh, with – Claypool. Do they put Denzel Ward one on one with Claypool like the whole game and say you got to lock him down, or do the Steelers have too many weapons to be able to just go? Hey, they got too many weird. weapons. They got they got they got too many weapons. It's we got you need a big game out of Miles Garrett to put pressure on Big Ben, and you need Denzel Ward to lock down whoever he's on that way. And that's where the coaches come in because they got to be able to know like okay, and these situations are going to this guy. Yeah, that's what makes the Steelers good. That's why they've won the division because they have those options. Because I can't say Claypool's not their top guy, Deontay's not their top guy, Juju is not their top guy. They truly are a core by committee. And if you key on one, the other ones go off. So for Denzel, I think it's one of those games you leave them on one side of the field and whoever comes to your side, Denzel, shut them down. I don't want to hear anything from them. And then you rely on the rest of your secondary to take care of the rest, right? Because he's going to be able to take those guys out. Predictions next week. How's it going to go? And what's the score going to be? Okay, this is a good opportunity to talk about Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt, which we didn't do. Two of the top seven backs in the NFL. Well, um, Chubb's number one, in my opinion, and so it just depends on how far down the line you put yeah. Kareem Hunt. And, and, and the only reason why you would put Kareem so far down, in my opinion, is because well, he has Nick Chubb on the same team and he doesn't get as many carries. But I think, undisputable, they're both top seven backs in the mm -hmm. NFL on one team, and they've been such an integral part of this team and really the foundation you know, of our offense. So I, 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 I think it will come down to the offensive line and the run game. Right. And I, and I think to your point earlier about the offensive line, they're going to answer the call and the defensive 
front for Pittsburgh, if they're playing at the top level, they're nothing to be nothing to be shabby at. But we had a top offensive line unit. Bill Callahan has got them right. We got the two best backs. So I think there's going to be a heavy run focus uh, for Cleveland, as it should be. And I think Nick Chubb should touch the ball at least 20 times in that game. Yeah, I think when I look at this game, the matchup I'm going to really be watching is Miles Garrett on Alejandro Villanueva, left mm-hmm. tackle on Miles Garrett. Because like you mentioned, the Steelers have tons of good weapons at receiver. Big Ben is going to be back. He's going to be able to distribute the football a little bit better than Mason Rudolph did. And so the way you limit a great passing attack, if you don't have three Pro Bowl corners, which the Browns don't have, is you got to get pressure. And so that's going to fall on Miles Garrett. Can he get pressure on Big Ben? Because Big Ben's been throwing tons of short passes, quick passes, which that kind of like handles itself. But when he does want to go down the field, when he does want to stretch the field a little bit to some of these speedsters on the outside, that's when Miles has to get pressure fast so that we don't see Claypool or Smith Schuster going up and winning some of these 50 50 balls that they won today. But the other side of it, I'm going to watch TJ Watt, who didn't play in this game versus Jedrick Wills. Yeah. Jedrick was uh, out with an illness last week, and he didn't look like himself today. When I watched him out there, he just didn't have the same quickness, energy, technique that he had uh, the whole season. And I'm wondering how healthy he was feeling. And so when TJ Watt being one of the guys that could be named the defensive player of the year comes back, that matchup is going to be so important because the Browns rushing attack, their run blocking today was awesome. I think they can do that again next week. No problem. The question is going to be their passing block. Their pass blocking this week was a little bit shaky. There was some times where Baker was under pressure when he shouldn't have. And with the addition of TJ Watt, that's going to be a really big question mark. Are they going to be able to limit TJ Watt? Are they going to be able to limit that pass rush enough for Baker Mayfield to hit the shots down the field that he has to. No, that's that's real. I, I, I think you're exactly spot on with that. I don't want to tease too much, man. I'm going to force us to come back. That's what that's what my, I'm doing for the time of flock. If we don't come back, I want everyone to know it's Joe's fault. Nat, give me a score prediction right now. Early week score prediction. Browns versus Steelers. You can't back out of it. If we do another show, we'll give you a chance to, to, to amend it. Oh, this is going to be so off. You know, I'm obviously going to predict the Browns to win, and I'm going to say it's going to be 28 to 24. 28, 24. All right. I don't know. Okay, let's say that. 28, 24. 28, 24. Joe, give me a score prediction. So the Browns are going to win 24 to 17. It's going to be a little bit maybe lower scoring than people think because it's going to be a lot of short passes from Big Ben. And you're going to see the Steelers actually run the ball a little bit more effectively than they have throughout the season. The Browns are going to run the ball very well. But uh, it's just going to be a little bit more of that back-and-forth slugfest. But I think the Brownies pull it out and get to head to the divisional round. Boy, is that going to be sweet. Mm, I like that. All right, I'm going to go 27-24 Browns. Early week prediction for the wild card. Sunday night, prime time. I think 8-15 Eastern. It's the time in Pittsburgh for anybody. God, I can't wait, man. It's been living under a rock. It's going to be lit. All right. (gasps) Notes from the show. we got to bring more jokes. I don't feel like we're as funny as we typically are. Oh, we had so much real things to talk about. We had so much real things to talk about. And if you're an NFL fan that doesn't like the Browns, 
Come on, man. It's been Fuck off. since 2002. Exactly. I mean, Do your account. Joe I'm a lot more diplomatic than Joe, but <laughs> Joe, Joe hawk yourself. yourself. <laughs> Absolutely. Come on. Have you not been here? We got to talk about heavy browns in this week, if nothing else. Anything else, guys? I think that's it, man. Let's wrap it and let's uh, let's promise. Pinky swear. That Pinky we're do swear. This again very soon, especially if this works. This is so easy. And this really, the podcast. Easy. It's it's never been about making money. Remember early on, you know, we just we, I mean we weren't making anything. Yeah, we were and, spending. And uh, all these people were like, man, you guys must be making all sorts of money. You're the number one <laughs> podcast in Ohio. You're the number one sports podcast. Several weeks, and we're like, man, we ain't making anything. Yeah, we like the music industry. I'm like, yeah, I'm like <laughs> honestly, I just like doing it. It's just fun, you know. And it's really helped uh, spur our careers in other direction yeah. with all the other things. So certainly like indirectly it's made us some money, but I just like talking with you guys. I like talking NFL football. I like talking Browns and I just, it just makes me happy when I, when I hang up, I'm like, man, that was a good idea. That was fun. It's like calling yeah, a good friend. Exactly. I guess that's what you guys are. Exactly what we are. It's like, it's like the behind the music episodes when, you know, people that you know, have these hit singles and like, Oh, we didn't make any money. The record label made all the money. That was us. For that was the us. Whole time. <laughs> we were just making hit singles. We weren't actually making yeah, we don't have anybody to beef with, though. Like in, the, in their case, the manager stole all the money. In our case, there <laughs> just was no money to steal. Oh, there was no money. We didn't know how to make it. No, um, I will say the whole world is now doing what we had already been doing for three years, which is crazy to think about because we were doing a remote podcast where nobody else was doing a remote podcast. They were all in the same room. Like, that's how you did podcasts. And I remember when we first started trying to figure this out with Nat and we were doing Clean Feed and Skype, and I was like, if we would just literally, if we just stopped doing the Tomahawk show and just came up with a way for people to do remote podcasts with hosts around the country, I bet we'd make millions of dollars. You did say that. And and look at us now. Imagine <laughs> if we had done that instead of doing 100 episodes of the Tomahawk show. We just said, you know what? Let's just spend that time figuring out the solution. <laughs> we'd all be billionaires sitting on our own island right now to have had that product ready for COVID. So I just want to say... The visionaries see it first. We love everybody. I think that does it for this episode of the Tomahawk. Special thanks to the Tomahawk for being patient. Special thanks to Joe. Special thanks to everybody who's made this show a thing and catapulted us to where we are. We plan to bring more. Hold us to it. Hit us up on Twitter. If you like the show, if you're happy it's back, we're going to interact and yeah, I think that's it. If this actually works, we'll definitely do it again. So, Nat, take us out. Joe, hawk yourself. Oh, that was the best one yet. That was a good one. <laughs> <laughs>